Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Party, party hello. This rain uh, this morning was something, hasn't it been? You know, rain is one of those things, um, you know, we need it. We, we got to have it. It helps things grow, but it can pretty quickly get out of hand, right? I was thinking about how in this message today, um, thinking about storms and seas and how that's a metaphor for the challenges that we face in life and just how, you know, a little bit of challenge is good. We need some of that. It keeps like, life interesting, right? It keeps us on our toes, but too much gets overwhelming pretty quickly. Let's turn to the word of the Lord this morning. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he placed the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Abraham, Abraham's story. The father of the nation of Israel, right? We hear a lot in our Christian communities and our sermons. We read a lot in the Bible about Abraham and the faith of Abraham. But you know, I'm, I'm, as I think about Abraham, I'm realizing that Abraham's story wasn't just about faith and conquering. It was, there was a lot of heartache, a lot of heartache in his story, right? Because he waited and yearned for so long for the fulfillment of the promise. And he sacrificed. So what is his story? God comes to him. He's just there minding his own business, right? Just living his life, going about his, his routine. And God comes to him and says, Hey, Abraham, I want you to follow me and I'm going to take you to a place that I will show you. And of course, you know, I've heard a lot of messages about that, about how God doesn't say, here, let me tell you where we're going to go. No. He says, you just follow me. You just follow me. Think about that for just a minute, about what that would be like just for God in some way, shape, or form through the calling of a pastor or through a private word that he gives to you for, for God to ask you just Everything you know, just pack it up and go. Just put it all in the car and drive. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you what exit to take. Just think about how difficult that would be. And so Abraham, he struggles with this, but he obeys. And he leaves everything behind. And then God gives him a promise. I will give you a child. And this child will be 
my blessing, through this child will come my blessing to the entire earth. And so he waits. And he waits. And he waits. (laughs) And he waits. And he just keeps waiting. For such a long time, he's waiting for God's promise to be fulfilled. When is this child going to come? And there's difficulty and there's hardship. And his, you know, he and his wife kind of cook up this alternative plan to get the child, and that turns to disaster with the birth of Ishmael. Not that any child is ever disaster, but it just did not go the way they planned it, and it created additional hardships. But eventually, God does answer the promise, and the child is born. And then seemingly, immediately, you know, the child grows a little bit, right? But seemingly, immediately, then God asks Abraham to turn around and sacrifice that and lay that down, right? And talk about a gut-riching decision as a parent. Do you obey God or do you, like, what, what is this even about? What does this even mean? That here's the promise, it's come, it's fulfilled, we think, he thinks, and then now God's asking me to sacrifice it, to lay it down. So a lot of hardship, a lot of waiting, a lot of trial in Abraham's story. A lot of suffering, a lot of wrestling, agonizing. And that's kind of the story of Israel as well, right? The nation that's birthed from Abraham's faith and obedience and sacrifice, because it's only a few generations before the family of Abraham finds themselves in captivity in the land of Egypt. Not through any sin, not through anything that they had done wrong, not as punishment, but because of the envy and the weakness of the surrounding nation, the fear. So they labor in slavery, and and they wait, and they wait, and they wait, right? And they're wondering, when, Lord, when are you going to take us out of this? And they're suffering, and they're oppressed, and they're held down, and their children are killed. For what reason? Because they were the other, because they were different. But God does eventually come and raises up Moses and he leads them out into the land that they were promised. But the story just seems to turn back around again, right? The same or something similar happened. More sorrow, more suffering comes. More waiting. Because the people are divided and they're conquered by the surrounding nations during the period of the judges. And then God comes and delivers again. And so we see this cycle over and over. God coming and delivering. And through this cycle, the the nation of Israel, they begin to wonder, what is it that, that God is doing? Where is he taking us? Until the time that Jesus comes on the scene. And there they are again. They're in a period of waiting, a period of holding, 
a period of sorrow, a period of suffering. They're under the thumb of the Romans. So we see this this story of Israel, God's people. It's kind of our story, isn't it? Because we live in this world just like they did, that's broken. Things are not the way that they're supposed to be. They're suffering, and we wait, and we wonder, what is God doing? When is He coming? How is He going to deliver us? How is He going to save us? And our story is the same as the story of Israel. Maybe you can hear some echoes of your own life in the story of Israel. Maybe you've waited and waited and waited for some promise that you have been made or has been made to you. Something that God, you believe that God is going to do in your life, but you just haven't seen it fulfilled. And you're wondering how long, how long, how long? Maybe you're in a place in life where, or you've been in a place in life where you've been in bondage. A cage maybe of your own making through vice or addiction or just poor decisions. And like the nation of Israel, you're wondering, when am I going to get free of this? When does my deliverance come? How long do I stay in the chains? Maybe you've been in a season of life where you've, or experienced a season of life where you've been persecuted or you've been abused or you've been mistreated. And you're wondering, where is my deliverance from that? Or just been in a season where day after day after day, the hits just keep coming, right? Day after hard day after hard day. This is our story. This is the story of humanity. This life is hard. It's hard. Now, that's not to say there's not good, right? It's not all storms and persecution and abuse. But those things are real. They're a real part of the lives that we live. And we wonder, where is the change? Where is something different? This is the story of Israel. It's the story of Abraham. It's the story of you and I. And I have heard, I have heard story after story after story of this kind of hurt and heartache. Some of you might not, uh, not, might not know this about me. I'm a counselor when I'm not um, being called into a pulpit to cover for people on sabbatical. Um, and I specialize in trauma work, and, and people tell me just stories that you would not believe of their suffering. 
people who have stories of being assaulted by people that they should be able to trust or being abandoned by parents that were supposed to take care of them or just living day after day after day where one thing comes and then the next and then the next and then the next and it just all piles up until it's overwhelming. Life beating them down. In times like these, uh, the exile, the long periods of waiting, um, living with these hardships, these times raise questions for us. They raise questions for us. I think one question it raises is, what does hope really look like? How much longer, how much more of this can I take? How much longer do I have to endure? God knows that this life is hard. He kind of built it into the framework of Scripture. Can you think about how often the Bible talks about suffering and persecution? And it's kind of like it's kind of assumed as the undercurrent, like if we need a savior, there must be something that we need saving from, right? And so God knows that life is hard and that we'll face these difficulties and he'll fa- we'll face these persecutions. And we're told things like, um, you know, that, that we'll not be, there will not be more placed on us than we can bear. And sometimes I got to say, I wonder, <laughs> like, Lord, is your metric for that? Uh, what is your metric for that? Because it doesn't seem to be the same as mine. Your understanding of what I can bear doesn't seem to be in keeping with my understanding of what I can bear. But I want to tell you something this morning, that wherever you are, what is, whatever it is that you're facing, whatever the difficulty is, whatever that thing is that you're trying to wait out or wait through, or whatever that suffering is, I want to tell you that there is hope. There is hope. And that's the good news this morning, that there's hope. Now, look, this is a relatively audacious thing to say because I don't know many of you. I mean, I've just met some of you the past couple weeks. Some of you I don't know at all. Not as familiar with your lives as Pastor Scott is, certainly. So how can I stand up here and say, there's hope? You don't know me, right? But see, I don't actually have to know you. Because I know the one in whom hope rests. I know where hope is actually grounded. I know a few people that um, they buy lottery tickets every week with their paycheck. That's fine. I'm not necessarily opposed to that. 
They're hoping they hit the jackpot. I think Powerball jackpot in uh, South Carolina is like 56 million right now, by the way. And, uh, you know, if you play the lottery, then I hope you win. That's a different kind of hope, though, right? That's a different kind of hope. If you do win, I hope you figure out a way not to let the money ruin you. There's a reason why they market and they advertise the lottery most heavily in the most impoverished communities. Because those are the communities where people are most desperate and most in need of hope. But that's a false hope, isn't it? little fun fact for you. Statistically speaking, the vast majority of people who win the jackpot end up bankrupt in something like seven to ten years. Not, not much of a hope, is it? Even if, you, even if you strike it. Now, there's also that little majority that figures out what to do with it. So I guess maybe there is some, some kind of hope. But it's a false hope. Then there's the presidents and the politicians and what they try to tell us, right? So um, they try to tell you that if you elect me, if you elect us, we know how to put things together. We know how to create uh, the hope and the change or the greatness or the rebuilding or whatever it is that the slogans say. They know how to make things work. And we know that they're lying, right? (laughs) We know that they're lying. As far as I can tell, the presidents and the politicians don't look out for much of anything but their own self-interest. And this is a a pretty young country. We're uh, We're in our, what, 46th president right now in this relatively young nation. And as far as I can tell, and... Look, I'm not the oldest, so I don't have the most history to to go from in my personal experience, but I'm not the youngest either. In my experience, what I've seen is that things pretty much stay the same no matter who's in the office. Now, some things will change and fluctuate, gas prices, that kind of thing. But for the most part, when things improve really for good or for ill, somebody else is doing the heavy lifting. And so all of the slogans and all of the messages that our politicians and our presidents, those are all false hopes as well, right? That hope falls flat. Now I want you to look at the people sitting around you. Go ahead, take a good look. Beautiful, attractive faces. You can even say hey to each other if you're extroverted and you're so inclined. And if you're more introverted, just... You can just give them a glance and a nod, and that, that'll suffice. No need to break that uh, comfort barrier this morning. Find people in this room. I know many people in this room. Good people. People that you can build lives with and build community with. But that partner that you're sitting next to, that spouse, that friend, that family member can't really offer you hope. 
we're going to fail each other. The best among us, we're going to fail each other. We're going to disappoint. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to hurt each other. Now, I've got a whole other sermon series on why it's important to cultivate those relationships anyway, (laughs) even though we're going to hurt each other and fail each other. But what we're talking about now is where do we get our hope? And we can't get it from even these good people around us who we're in community with and we build lives with. And not only are we flawed, but our power is limited, right? I can't give you all the things that you need. I can't draw you out of your suffering. I can't answer the longing that you have in your heart. I can't heal your illnesses. I can't cure any financial worries or constraints that you have. I'm just a guy. That's what we are. We're just people. We're doing this together. We're trying the best we can. But the Bible says that we, there is one in whom we can place our hope. And we know who that one is, right? We know that this is Jesus. Jesus is the one in whom we can place our hope. And that is what Scripture says about hope. Hope is the expectation of good founded in the person and the promise of Jesus. The expectation of good founded in the person and the promise of Jesus. Now, we know that a promise is only as good as the person who's making it, right? So what it all comes down to is who is Jesus? If hope is some expectation of good founded in who Jesus is, then who Jesus is is what it is all about. We can either have hope or not based on him and who he is. Well, that's good news, right? Because Jesus is good. Jesus is the one to whom, uh, the one who said, let the children come to me when everybody else wanted to shove them to the side. Jesus is the one who, when he was going off to pray and he saw the needs of the people, he set himself aside and went and met their needs. Jesus is the one who reached out and ministered and fed the hungry, who healed the sick. The person of Jesus. If you can take the person that you have, the person on this earth that you know the best, that you have the most respect for. That person, that person's goodness and love and care pales in comparison with the goodness of Jesus Christ. So this is all about who Jesus is. And Jesus is good.
I think it's hard to really grasp the depth of how good and loving Jesus Christ is. And I get that because what do we have to go on? Well, we've got Scripture, right? We've got the people around us who claim to be representatives of Christ. They make mistakes. They fail us. Even in their best intentions, they let us down sometimes. So we've got the Word, and then we've got this world around us. And so it can be really easy, really easy to have despair when we don't understand how good Jesus is. And you know what? Sometimes we don't see his goodness. Sometimes what we're left with is just the experience of this world, and we can't really see how good he is. My son, Caspian, is moving rapidly towards his 15th birthday, more rapidly than I would care to admit sometimes. And so he has been dying for me to teach him how to drive. Now, I love my son. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm an imperfect father, right? I love my son. I want him to have freedom. I want him to have friends. I want him to be able to invest in his life in learning skills, and I want him to um, have community and people around him. I mean, if you're a parent, you, you know what I'm talking about. You want these good things for your kid. But what I can't do is I can't just plop a car down in front of him. Because, you know, at some point you need a car for all those things, right? If you're a teenager, you're going to go hang out with your friends, you need a car. If you're going to you know, go get a job, invest in skills, you need transportation. But you can't just, can't just plop a car down in front of a 15-year-old kid and say, here, go to it. Or, I guess, in the reverse, you can't plop him down in a car and say, go to it, right? What's got to happen? All of the angst of the learning process has to happen, right? So I took my son, Caspian, out to the old Knight Stadium parking area, and the pavement is all rocky, and you can barely even see where the parking spaces are anymore. And, I mean, I've got a Jeep, but I wasn't expecting to go off-roading. But it would be really easy to go off-roading out there because of the pavement, and it just kind of goes out into the, into the wild there. And so I'm out there with him. And, now don't get me wrong, he's doing great. He's doing a great job. But, you know, I'm sitting there and, like, I can feel my body kind of, like, in the seat, right? I'm melded into the seat. And, you know, every, everything that, you know, every little turn or acceleration or slowing down, I'm like, okay, the plan's in my mind, bump it up into neutral, pull the emergency brake, grab the steering wheel. Like, I've got the, whole, I've got the whole strategy laid out in my mind. And that is, that's rough. It's rough on him, too. It's 
See, we can't get to getting in the car without going through kind of some of the pain of the process of being ready. And that's why we can't always see God's goodness. Because I can tell you this much, when I'm saying to Caspian, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down, he's not feeling the goodness of his father in that moment. <laughs> right? When my hand is kind of shooting over there towards the steering wheel, he's not feeling the goodness of his father right then. And so we don't always feel the goodness of Jesus Christ in this world. Sometimes we can't see. Sometimes there's other things that are going on, bigger things going on. Now, that's a situation that's, you know, it's simple enough that he can at least intellectually get it. But in the moment, he's not feeling or understanding where the goodness comes from in this situation. We're trusting, though, in the person of Christ, the person, and he is good. But we can't always see it. And that's why hope acts for us as an anchor for our soul. We, we see, we at least have some cognitive or mental understanding that Christ is good, that Jesus is good, but we can't always see it. Because when you're in the middle of it, there's too much going on. And indulge me just for a minute. Um, picture this. The boat, the waves, the storm, Right? You can get a mental picture of this. There's a boat out on the water. It's night. The rain is driving in, much like it was driving you to the side of the road when you were coming in this morning, maybe. And the waves are swelling, and the boat's tossing up and down. In that situation, it's hard to see the good, right? You're just trying to keep the boat from tipping over if you're on it. Well, so, you know, I got this metaphor that the Scripture gives us that hope acts as an anchor for the soul. Hope acts as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure. So, so I started doing a little digging. You know what's interesting is that on, with, for the big ships, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, Paul, when he's writing this, he's on, you know, like a cargo ship, which is one of the bigger ships of the time, right? But the, the really big ships that we have now, the anchor doesn't actually do much of anything. See, what happens is when the storm comes, the boat's over here, right? And they drop the anchor. And the anchor goes down and it's attached to these gigantic chains. You know, with the, the rings, the links that are like this big or, or bigger, you know, maybe as big as me. These gigantic chains. And the anchor goes down and it just kind of drags on the bottom. 
And then they keep letting, once it hits the ground, they keep letting the chain out. Okay, so the anchor hits, and they keep letting the chain out. And as they're doing it, the ship's continuing to move. And the chain's going out, and the chain's going out, and the chain's going out, and the chain's going out. And the anchor's way back there. And now the boat's way over here. There's all this chain. It's like seven times the length from the ship to the bottom. Seven times that length is the chain. And what keeps the boat anchored or in place isn't the anchor. It's the chain. Isn't that interesting? It's the chain. Okay, well, that's a little bit of, you know, you know, boat trivia, I guess. But what difference does that make? Well, when the boat's up here and the storm is raging and the, you know, going back and forth and the seas are rising, the waves are rising, and people are, you know, chucking stuff over the side of the boat. Over here, where the anchor is and the chain It's all calm. It's all peace. But we're in the boat over there. And the calm's over here. Hope is the anchor because it's the thing that connects us in the turbulence, in the ship, with the waves. It's what connects us with what's over here, which is solid. This isn't going anywhere. This is solid. But from our perspective, we're getting thrown around. We're getting tossed around. But there's that long chain. The chain's on the bottom. That's where Christ is. That's the person of Jesus. His goodness the surety that we have in Him. But we can't always see that because we're up on top, getting pummeled, quite honestly, a lot of times, right? And the chain of hope's anchor is long. And here's what I think that means. When God said to Abraham... I'm going to give you a son. I guarantee you what Abraham did not think was going to happen was that he was going to wait years and years and decades. He didn't think that's what was going to happen. When God promises his people, I'm going to deliver you from Egypt. I guarantee you they did not think, okay, here's how God's going to do it, right? He's going to ask us to take a lamb and kill it and take the blood and wipe it all over our doors, and that's how he's going to do it. There's no way that they thought that. They did not see that coming. That's the plot twist, right? When God promised to take the people into, the people of Israel, into the land, the promised land, They're like, but wait, 
wait a minute, God, there's, there's giants over there. And God says, I, hey, I got you. I guarantee you nobody said, all right, look, look, fellas, gather around. This is what's going to happen. God is going to give us instruction, and we're going to go, and we're going to walk around the city. And that's how it's going to happen. That's, that's where our salvation is going to come from. He's going to have us walk. No. Nobody thought that. And we see this over and over and over again. Hope fulfilled in ways that we never thought or dreamed of. And sometimes it doesn't look like what we think it should look like. It doesn't look like what we think it should look like. The first century, people of Israel there in Palestine area, and they're under the rule of the Romans. And what are they waiting for? They're waiting for the promised Messiah. And what did they think was going to happen? You know what they thought was going to happen? They thought God was going to raise up another Joshua or David, someone who would come and take up the sword and gather together the army and fight and defeat the Romans in this world And who comes and shows up? Jesus. The most remarkable instance of swordsmanship with Jesus around is when Peter chops somebody's ear off and Jesus picks it up and heals it. Basically undoes the work of the sword. We do not know or see how God will fulfill his promises to us. The chain is long. We think it's over here, but it's over here. It shows up not in the way that we expect. In 2010, I graduated from Gordon-Conwell with a Master of Divinity. I don't know whether that means a whole lot for Foursquare, but my grandfather was a Presbyterian pastor, and you couldn't become a pastor without an MDiv in the Presbyterian church. So in many ways, the MDiv is like this mark of your readiness for ministry, right? You know what I did that month? Same month that I graduated with my piece of paper that said I was ready for ministry, I resigned the church that I was at. I think I was the only person who in the same month graduated with an MDiv and left the ministry because I thought I was headed in a different direction. I wasn't leaving the faith. I wasn't leaving God, nothing like that. I mean, I had felt like it a few times along the way. If you're, is your faith really solid faith if you haven't had a few wrestling matches with doubt along the way? 
That's another sermon too. So I left the ministry and I was going to go into mental health and I did. But I thought, well, you know, what I really want to do is I really want to go into psychology. So I need this degree in psychology. And I couldn't get it. I couldn't get one. I couldn't even get an offer into, to do an interview to get accepted into a psychology program. And so kind of out of desperation, I went into this other field, counselor education. And so I, I got my degree in that in counselor education. So I got an MDiv. I got an MA in counseling. I'm in mental health. I'm going into this doctorate program of counselor education. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord, why did you even have me in ministry at all? Like I was, I was thriving. I thought I knew what I wanted, knew what I was about. I was helping people. It's a different kind of ministry. I was seeing things that I hadn't seen before, just in the context of ministry. Got my own counselor. That was helpful. I, I've actually had several now at this point. <laughs> All helpful. But I was thinking, Lord, why on earth did you even have me do that other stuff? Like, I found my calling. But part of the reason that I wanted a doctorate because, was because I wanted to teach. I wanted to teach people. I wanted to be able to do for other people what had been gifted to me in my graduate training. Some of you are thinking, where is he going with this? Well, that's kind of the point. I didn't see where it was going. And I was confused. Lord, why? You know, okay, look, God, if you had just told me that this is where things were heading back then, like I could have gotten here about 15 years ago. Why did I go through all that? But then I went to Gordon-Conwell. It was where I teach now. And I started applying for the position there. And you know what they didn't want? They didn't want a psychologist. They couldn't hire a psychologist. If I had gone that route, it, would, it wouldn't have worked. What they needed was somebody in counselor education. Well, that just happens to be where I got my degree. Counselor education. You know what else they didn't want? They didn't just want a pure counselor either. They wanted a counselor with pastoral ministry experience. <laughs> so I got hired this job that I had been thinking about and dreaming about for years. I mean, by the time I got hired, I had been wanting this job for like 10 years. And academia... You don't get to pick. You don't get to pick what school you end up typically at. You just have to go because, I mean, there's a lot of people with these degrees, and there's just very, very few positions. There's hardly any positions. It's a really difficult market. And so you just have to go where someone will take you. <laughs> and I was prepared to do that. But what I wanted, I wanted Gordon-Conwell because that's where I went. That's where I got my degree. That's where I was helped. That's where I was matured. And I wanted to give that back. I didn't know, though, that I would need the pastoral experience, the MDiv, the counselor ed degree. I didn't know I would need any of that. In other words, 
the anchor was here and my chain was long. And I thought that there were storms and all this was going on, that I was just tossed adrift and that things were just random and it was just chance. And why didn't things work out? Not knowing that I was anchored over here all along. And I couldn't see it. I couldn't see it till the end. That's even what's brought me here today for, for whatever good wants to do with it now. And so in the midst of all that, we live in the storm. We live in the chaos. And the person of Jesus is over here. And something has to stand in the gap. And that's what hope is. That's, that's what it is. That we're in the storm and the, the anchor's there, the solid ground is there, the person of Jesus, and we can't always see it. And we can't know what the fulfillment is going to look like, but we can be sure that his promises are sure because of the foundation of the person of Jesus Christ. That's, that's hope. Maybe I could have taken a lot less time to say that. But hope keeps us in faith and it keeps us in practice. Because in the meantime, when things are bobbing and things are feeling like they're capsizing sometimes and we're in the storm and we have all those things that are going on in our lives and we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting, we need something in the gap. We need something in the gap. And what hope gives us is the faith and the patience that we need to hang on. Some of you may have had times where it was everything that you could do to get out of bed in the morning. Maybe you couldn't even do that. It was everything that you could do to hold on. I've worked with people that the only thing that kept them going, there's no lie, the only thing that kept them going was the knowledge that if things got too bad, at least they could take their own life. We got better hope than that. We have more assurance in Christ than that. And so that hope keeps us in faith and in patience. So I don't know where you are today as we, as we end this morning. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what your difficulties are. I don't know what you're waiting for. I don't know where you need the hope. But I know that there is hope. And the reason I know that is because it's grounded in the person of Jesus Christ. And he is good. And he is sure and he is steady. He's not going anywhere. We can't always see it. But the anchor of hope's chain is long. 
and the fulfillment is there. We may not know what it's going to look like. It doesn't always come in the time that we want or in the way that we want. But it is sure to come. It is sure to come. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.